I considered preaching on this May 21st uh, heresy, but it's a fairly complex issue the way the fellow has put it all together, and so I decided to spend time on it in Sunday school, and we got started today. But if you're interested in that, uh, I would certainly invite you to my Sunday school class next Sunday. We'll be talking about it for at least one more week, uh, if not a couple. Just working through the the errors in understanding the scripture that Harold Camping had, and and it led him to an erroneous conclusion. Well, this week I went up to uh, visit Elsie Forner. She's in the Linden Christian Rest Home and uh, recuperating from some illness and uh, trying to get strong again so she can get back home. And, and as I usually do, I turned too soon off the East Badger. And so I came down and I turned on the road that should have been the right road, but it wasn't the right road. And then I thought, hey, Chuck and Cindy live around here somewhere. And pretty soon there they were. And uh, Chuck was up on a ladder working and uh, Cindy was downstairs shaking her finger. Making sure he got it done just so. They have an empty lot. I, I stopped to visit with them. They have an empty lot right next to their house. And uh, we were talking about that empty lot. And they said, we love running our dog right there. But we hear tell somebody, you know, it might be for sale. And I said, well, you know what you should do? You should put up a sign that says Washington State Environmental Superfund Site. <laughs> cleanup site. That way nobody will buy it. And, uh, and then if somebody comes by, just deny that you put the sign up. Yeah, I said that. And as soon as I rolled my window up and drove away, I thought, how ironic is that that I'm preaching on telling the truth this week? It didn't take me anything to come up with that. Just like that. I, I think I'm usually a truth teller when it's about anything real, but it doesn't take me a minute to make up a lie. And I, I, I reflected on a quote that I had read, <clears throat> and I decided to share it with you. I hadn't quite decided at that point. This is from John MacArthur. Ever since the fall of man, lying has been a common characteristic of unregenerate mankind. Our society today is so dependent on lying <clears throat> that if it suddenly turned to telling the truth, our way of life would collapse. <laughs> and I, when I read that, I thought, no, that's, that's a little bit of an overstatement. Then I find myself going down the road making up lies. Wow. Spending some time a few weeks between Mother's Day and Father's Day talking about communication. In fact, the broad title of my series is is communication, conflict, and reconciliation. And we're starting with talking about communication, and it's not an accident that as we read the book of Ephesians, God lays out a whole series of spiritual blessings and defines what it means to be a Christian, and then he comes to the application, that is, here's what you should do in light of the truth that I've just been sharing, and the first thing that he comes to after he says you need to put on righteousness and put off sin, the first thing he comes to is verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The very first thing that he, before he talks about 
stealing, before he talks about sexual sin, before he talks about some other things, uh, issues of anger and whatnot, the very first thing he talks about is our speaking, and he talks about speaking truthfully. Godly communication is built on truth. Godly communication is built on truth. And the first thing we've got to understand about this is is that truth springs out of our nature as a Christian. Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 4, please. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk or, or live your life, conduct your life. That's what the word walk means in the New Testament. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He's comparing the Christian life to the life of somebody who is not a believer, not a Christian. You should not walk like the rest of the Gentiles, verse 18, because they have their understanding dark and they're alienated from the life of God. There's ignorance, spiritual ignorance in them. There's blindness in their heart. They're past feeling, verse 19. They've given themselves to lewdness, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And then verse 24, you should put on the new man or the new nature which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In the the argument that is going on in this text, he says, don't live like an unbeliever because you're not an unbeliever. You have the nature of Christ, the new nature of Christ. And remember these words of Christ, I am the way, say it out loud, what's the next one? The truth and the life. I am the way and the truth. Do you know to be called a Christian linguistically is like saying you're a little Christ. Now we're not trying to teach you that you're a God like some other religions would try to teach you. That's not what we mean. But the idea is here's Christ. He's the original, the greatest and you're, you're in his shadow. You're a Christ one. You're a Christian. If Christ is the very embodiment of truth, how can I call myself a Christ one or a Christ follower and not be a truth teller? I'm telling you, if I hadn't been studying this this, this week, what I said to Chuck and Cindy, I'd say, well, that's just a funny joke, ha ha. I would never do that, honestly. I would never, you know, and if they did it, I'd go to them and say, you're not being truthful. But I joke about it. Later in this text, he's going to say, you shouldn't even joke about the things that the world does. Man, if I am one of Christ's, I should be acting like Christ. Can I imagine Christ lying? Now here's a more significant question to go with this, with the nature of being a Christian. In other words, when we believe in Christ, there is an internal change in us. We are born from our mothers with a human nature. But when we believe in Christ, we are born with a 
new nature, the nature of Christ. It is who we are. And so I need to ask this question of myself. If I am a habitual liar, then I need to evaluate the condition of my nature. The nature is the beginning point. Look at this. This is scary. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Have you thought about the fact that the first lie was told by Satan? That's what it means when he's called the father of lies. So the question I have to answer is, if I, if I lie, 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 if it is my habitual nature to lie, could I possibly have the nature of Christ, who is the embodiment of truth? If I am going to be a truth-speaking person, I have to be a chip off of the block of Christ. As I grow older and my hairline grows lesser it's no doubt that i'm a chip off the old block my son is a chip off of his old block we're all in the same mold are you a chip off of that block jesus christ when you believe in christ who died for your sin because you realize you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, then God causes you to go through a new spiritual birth. You receive a new nature, which includes the ability to speak truth consistently. If we're going to grow out of the worldly sinful ways of speaking into the godly ways of truth-telling, we need to not only have that new nature, but now be acquainted fully with what truth is. And so if we have considered our nature and said, yes, I am a believer in Christ, then number two, we need to understand that truth is absolute. Truth is absolute. Here's how God put it. No lie is of the truth. As I thought about that this week, I thought about God's command in general about how believers are supposed to relate to, to the unbelieving world. And he said this, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion or what agreement together has light with darkness. Uh, because of the way our room is built, and the, because of the size of the windows and the, uh, the kind of blinds we have and the glass doors and so on, we can't make this room dark. We can't make it so dark that you would say it is absolutely dark, or as we would like to say, pitch black. We can make it darker, but there's always some light. See, light and dark, it's either one or the other. There's no middle ground where you could say, oh, it's dark and it's light. No, either it's absolutely black dark or there is light in the room. God says a truth and a lie cannot coexist. It's either a truth or it's a lie. We like, we, we've got words for lying. It's a white lie. That means it's a good lie. We say it's a little white lie. 
That means it's, it's, just, it's just teensy, really insignificant. We say, I'm going to fudge the truth, which means I'm going to push the truth into a corner somewhere, and I'm going to live out here. Warren Wearsby had a good definition of, of a lie. A lie is a statement that's contrary to fact, spoken with the intent to deceive. And I think that's a pretty good definition of a purposeful lie, as in, you know, the story that I made up for Chuck and Cindy, you know, put up a sign that says it's a Superfund site. I mean, obviously, that's a, that's a crazy thing. Nobody would believe that in Linden. You know, what, did they spill a bunch of milk there? You know, what happened? <laughs> More likely, if it was a Superfund site, it would be a bunch of fertilizer, you know, or something like that. You know, but the way I contrived the story, the intent would be to deceive. That's what a lie is. A statement contrary to fact spoken with the intent to deceive. That's a good definition of a lie. But it isn't good enough for the Christian to say, I wasn't trying to deceive them. That in itself is a statement in which we say, well, I'm not trying to deceive them. You know, they might have been deceived, but that's not my fault. Wait a minute, what are you telling me there? What you're telling me is that sometimes, sometimes when we speak, we speak what we heard was truth. Well, I heard this. Did you hear it from the guy who said it? Did you hear it from the gal who said it? Did you hear it directly from that person? Or was that somebody's speculation. You know, I heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody. And, and, and as a Christian, we, we have to say, it's not good enough for me to say, well, I'm not purposefully trying to deceive. The question is more this, are you purposefully trying to tell the truth? Are you purposefully trying to tell the truth? We do this somewhat innocently, I, I will put it that way, when people are ill. Well, I heard, or we hear something and we extrapolate out from it. We speculate with what's going on with them. We do this with the headlines. We, we see a headline and we extrapolate out from there. One of the things I love about the Internet when it comes to preaching is I can go out online to find the stories that I heard that I want to tell you to make sure I'm speaking the truth. Because the one thing that would absolutely ruin my day is for me to walk down here after church for somebody to come up and say, uh, no, that was completely wrong. You got that wrong. I'll go, oh, because that really torpedoes the communication of truth. I did that this week with the story that I'll tell you in a minute. I was familiar with the facts of the story, but I went online, verify what I'm going to say so I don't speak the truth accidentally because I'm not being careful. Not being careful. Sometimes we speak what we think is true. This is what I would call interpretation. You know, we hear several facts and we interpret them together. And often interpretation includes motive. I'm going to read your mind. I know why you said that. I know why you did that. I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there. I, you know. And the, and the truth is, I don't. The truth is, I don't. I may be able to report facts. I may be able to report interactions. I may be able to talk about that. 
but I cannot interpret people's motives. Sometimes we speak more than is true. This is called exaggeration. You know how big the fish was, the one-armed fisherman caught? Maybe a young person will say, I'm going to go to Harvard University. And you go, wow, you're going to Harvard. Well, I'm thinking about applying. You're going or you're thinking about going? You know, what is it? The case that I researched on the Internet was a sad but true case. A man who we brought out here to speak to our pastor's fellowship was caught sometime after that having exaggerated his testimony. His name is Ergun Kanner, and we have some of his books in the library, and I believe what he wrote on was accurate and true. But he, he was raised in a Muslim family, but some people seem to have gotten the idea from some things he said that he was raised to be a jihadist or a holy warrior in a Muslim family. And apparently that was not quite true. Here's a quote from the university that he worked for, Liberty University. A four-member committee of Liberty Board of Trustees, headed by Vice Chancellor Ronald Godwin, had conducted a thorough and exhaustive review of Cantor's public statements and concluded, quote, he made factual statements that were self-contradictory. In other words, he said something here and he said something at a different place and those statements were self-contradictory. They cited discrepancies related to matters such as dates, names, places of residence, but they offered no specifics. Kanner apologized for the discrepancies and misstatements that led to his review. Do you know, among all the stories you could possibly tell, there's no excuse for exaggerating your own story, because you should know your own story better than any other story you tell. Um, I would not presume to judge this man's heart, but there was exaggeration. It was not the truth. Number four, sometimes we speak what we want to be true. This is what I would call persuasion. As in, I'm going to craft my words with a certain goal in mind, rather than just speaking all the words and letting God take care of where the chips fall. This kind of lying can be motivated by what, I, what some people would call good desires. Here's one. I'm going to tell my child that if they suck their thumb, it'll fall off. Okay, it's time to come to Jesus. Raise your hand if you told that one. Yeah, I see one hand at least. One, I see one honest person. If you don't come right now, I'm going to leave you here. Yeah, yeah, a few more of those. Yeah. You see, we're trying to persuade people, so we make stuff up that we know isn't true when we say it. And you know what that becomes when a person is older? Well, I'm not actually going to leave my husband or my wife, but I told them I am because I want them to change their behavior. We're trying to persuade people with the truth. No matter what you call it, no matter how you justify or rationalize it, you're either a truth-teller or not. 
And it's a matter of being careful as a believer about what we say. And that, for some of us, that comes really hard. You know, the old proverb, think twice and speak once. And one of those thinking times needs to be, is this true? Truthful, truth is absolute. Truthful speaking begins with a truthful heart. How do we become truthful speakers? With a truthful heart. The prime lesson we learned a couple of weeks ago was that truth, that the words that come out of the mouth begin in the inner man. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, a lot of us here today would say, well, I'm not evil. Because the word evil, we would reserve for the Ted Bundys of the world or you know, fill in the blank with the name of the current serial killer, the Green River Killer. That, he's evil. I'm not evil. Well, God says your heart is either in a condition of righteousness or a condition of evil. Now, ultimately, that has to do with are you born again or not. I understand that once you accept Christ, your heart is made new. The Bible calls it a fleshy heart instead of a stony heart. You have a new heart. You're right with God. You're ready to go to heaven. I understand that. But as a Christian... According to Ephesians 4, we have to make a choice whether we will continue to live like the unbeliever who has an evil heart or whether we will choose to live righteously. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever is we can now choose to live righteously. And Jesus said, your heart has to be right because whatever comes out started in your heart, in your inner man, your inner person. So how do you develop a heart that pours forth the truth? I think this verse is the one that instructs us the best. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, of virtue, of anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is, a, it, it, it is both a command and an instruction for a habit. In other words, we have to choose what we're going to think about. I like to watch the news to kind of get a feel for what's going on. You know, uh, 10 o'clock, uh, we're trying to be in bed at least by 10.30. So at 10 o'clock, I like to click on the news. And, you know, the first five minutes will tell you what's important in the world. And I forget what was on there last night, but it wasn't that important. <laughs> but about two-thirds of the news many times is speculation. You know, here, here's a little dab of something that happened, and here's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to happen. I don't need to think about that. I, I, I'd like to be aware of the, of the true things that are happening, um, but I don't need to be taught how to speculate about the future. That, that's a human sinful problem. I don't need to be encouraged in it. I need to meditate on what is true. What is true? What is true? As a born-again person with a new heart, you have the ability to reject speculation, interpretation, exaggeration, persuasion, and choose to think on the truth. What does that require? It requires verifying the facts. Verifying the facts. When you hear something that's, that catches your attention, you need to say, is that true? Does, did what I just heard have the ring of truth? Do I need to go and check it out? It may mean that I have to reject conversations with others who speculate, interpret, and exaggerate, and persuade. I have to choose what I'm going to think about. 
And above all, it requires a daily bathing in God's word. Look at Ephesians from your, we looked at chapter 4, look at chapter 5, verse 26. In chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, it's talking about husbands and wives and their relationship, and it's talking about how Christ uh, enters into that. And look at, look at verse 26. Christ gave himself, verse 25, that he might sanctify and cleanse the church, that is, all believers, with the washing of water by the word, so that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that she should be holy and without blemish. Once you have believed in Christ as your Savior, for that matter, even in the act of believing, it comes through the Word of God. You hear God's truth, and God's Holy Spirit helps you to act on that truth, to believe that. And then as a Christian, as you walk day by day, you need to have the washing of water by the Word, the the daily bath in the Word of God. And why is that? So that He did it so that the church, we do it for us individually, will be holy and without blemish. If you wear your clothes for very many days in a row, pretty soon your aroma will announce your arrival before your appearance. (laughs) Now we know that. That's why most of us have washing machines or we, we have the laundromat. Same thing is true of your person. If you don't bathe your person regularly, you know, and I suppose it's fair to say some people need it more than others, depending on what they do and so on and so forth. But the stink builds up. Okay? Um, If you think you can go for weeks at a time without a bath, you're fooling yourself. (laughs) Okay? We wash our clothes and we wash our body so that we don't stink. God says this word washes your soul. Is it, is it possible that you've been telling yourself you don't need the washing of the word on a daily basis? And the only person you're kidding is yourself? We need the washing of the word. Boy, we need that. Um, you know, when kids are little, they don't think they need a bath, do they? Lord have mercy. Do you suppose that's how God looks at us? When we don't read the word, you go, man, can't you see that dirt? Can't you see that foolishness in your thinking? Truthful, truthful speaking begins with a truthful heart, and that comes by... By washing with the word. Number four, truthful speaking must be regulated by love. Look at Ephesians 4, uh, 15. In talking about the body of Christ, in particular the local church, he says, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Not just from this verse, but from many verses, we know that love is the prime mark of a Christian. 
Here we have the bringing together of truth and love. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he said he loves us. The truth and love have to be interconnected. Some people want to call themselves loving, and they say, well, I could never say this or that because that wouldn't be loving. And what it means is I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And some people say, well, I just speak the truth, and there it is. And they hurt people and are harsh. And God says, speak the truth in love. First of all, love has to be the motive for truthfulness. In other words, the way that we speak should be motivated by truth, uh, by love. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Put away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. This is a reminder that we are a body, we're a family. Now don't raise your hand. Do you lie to your family? Do you lie to your husband? Do you lie to your wife? We know that if that goes on, then there's a problem in the relationship. Some, if your good friend comes to you and says, my husband, my wife lies to me all the time, then you think, whoa, this is broken. You don't think, oh, that's cool, whatever. That's just their way. No. And as the bot, we have to recognize we're in a family here, and it's, and, and so, Part of the motive for truthfulness is love amongst the family. If you do lie to your family members, how do you expect them to respond when they find out? Let me turn it around and make it really personal. How much do you enjoy being lied to? Think, oh, I love it when people lie to me. I love it when nobody tells me the truth. I'm glad I don't know what's going on. Really? Most of us hate being lied to. And we should reverse that as we consider other people. Truthful speaking is regulated by love. Love is the motive of truthfulness. And love is also the method. The method for truthfulness. Um... Again, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Colossians 4.6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. But indeed, I count all things, excuse me, I'm going to back up there. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. Can you imagine Jesus having a big, angry blowout of words and then saying, well, you just know I just speak my mind and that's that. Can you imagine Jesus giving the disciples the silent treatment because they said something that hurt his feelings? And who are we trying to be like, class? We're supposed to be trying to be like Jesus. That's what Paul said when he says, Indeed, I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness or righteousness by my own standards, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. We're supposed to be trying to be like Jesus. We can't imagine Jesus lying. Here's an encouragement for you. Truthfulness unleashes the Spirit of God. 
Look with me at chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 30. After giving a series of instructions, he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then drop down to chapter 5, verse 9. For the fruit or the result of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Chapter 5, verse 18. And don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The Spirit of truth. If we want to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit, we can't lie. We can't be carrying on a a lie and expect the Holy Spirit to bless us. Do you remember this famous episode from the book of Acts? A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, stole a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You see, he kept back part of the proceeds, but they told him, here's all the money. We sold this land for $10,000, and here's the $10,000, when the truth was he'd sold it for fifteen or 20000 And he's lying to them about his gift to the Lord. Do you see who the lie was against? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You ever think about your lies? being a direct offense to the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit takes that kind of seriously. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? He said, look, you didn't have to give us all the money. It was yours. It was your choice. Why did you choose to lie about it? You have not lied to men, but to God. You ever think that God hears all of the lies? Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Now, I'm thankful God's not in the business of knocking people down every time they lie. Because I'm not sure if God would have known I was joking this week. But you know what that tells me? This is a big deal to him. This is a big deal to him. Honesty. Telling the truth. We understand very clearly that lying is a sin and truth-telling is righteous. When we sin, the Holy Spirit goes into guilt-producing mode out of fruit-bearing mode or character-building mode. When we live righteously, though, this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. The fruit or the result of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many times do people tell lies to preserve the peace in their life? And yet God says, I'll give you peace. You want peace? I'm here ready to give it to you. Truthfulness puts us under the protection of God. 
Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Back a few pages before Galatians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now verse 13 we're really familiar with, but we don't read the first 12 verses so often. Look at verse 13 first. There has no temptation or testing that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, that is the moral on the end of a story. Let's go back and catch the story at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers, that is, all of our our predecessors in the nation of Israel were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. That's talking about leaving Egypt and the exodus from Egypt. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And we should not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did in one day. 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our warning upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. No situation will come up in your life except the ones that God will enable you to handle. And because God is faithful, who will not allow you to go through a testing situation beyond what you're able to bear. But with that testing situation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The big lesson here is this. If God tells you to do something, he will protect you in it. You see, when we consider truth-telling or lying, we're thinking, if I tell the truth all the time, it's going to hurt, it's going to cost me, it's going to mean a sacrifice. Yep, that's true. But what is underneath you, God? What's over you, God? What's all around you, God? Remember that passage in John where Jesus said, you're in my hands and I'm in the Father's hands. How much more secure can you be? But when we choose to lie, we step outside of God's control and we say, God, I I know you think you know the best way to do this, but this is really what I have to do. And when you do that, you're on your own. Not only are you on your own, but the Holy Spirit is there going. And so you feel guilty. And if you don't respond to that guilt inducement by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will do worse. Because God knows it's not good for you to live in sin. Truthfulness puts us under the protection of God. You can fight God by living sinfully and you will reap his chastisement, or you can walk on his righteous path and gain his protection. If I really trust in God's protecting hand, 
I won't need to manipulate people by speaking some kind of lie in order to get my desired outcome. If I'm under God's care, I won't lie in order to protect myself by what I fear will be the outcome of truth because I trust God. The elders have begun a a second monthly meeting for fellowship and prayer. We have our normal meeting at the first of the month, and a couple of weeks later we get together for prayer and fellowship. And this week we got together at McDonald's. That was a brilliant idea by somebody, not me. And uh, we're sitting there eating and praying and fellowshipping, and a fellow walks in, and because I get to McDonald's kind of often, some other people who get there often know my car. And so he walks in and he goes, you got a flat tire in your car. And it was on the side that I would not have seen when I got into the car. And I would have drove off and it's a fairly new tire and I, I would have ruined the tire, no doubt about it. So I was able to go over to the station, put a little air in it and, and uh, drive it over to Les Schwab where they fix flats for free. Took a piece of metal about that long, a little flat piece of metal out of my tire. But that wasn't the only problem my car had. The Les Schwab guy says, yeah, we got that flat fixed, but did you know your tie rod end is loose? You see, they fix flats for free at Les Schwab. (laughs) But they don't fix tie rod ends for free. And I said, you know, I knew about that, and we talked about it. Now, I didn't have to fix the tie rod end this week, or I didn't have to pay him to fix it. The tie rod is, you know, it's a thing, it's a little, it's a thing like this, and when it gets loose, then it goes like this, okay? And when it gets loose enough, your whole car goes like that. I did not need to fix that this week. I could have let it go until several parts on the car broke and I couldn't drive it anymore. Because that's what will happen if you let stuff go long enough. I don't care. I'll drive it till it's vibrating so hard I can't stand it. Then I'll pay to fix it. And I'll pay to fix everything else that got broke by it. Is that how you live your life? I I know I should quit lying, but it's not that big a deal. I guarantee you, any sin, if left unchecked, will become a big deal. Don't let your communication take you to a breakdown. Pay the price of getting rid of sin now and let truth-telling bring the blessing of God.